I was noticing as we show up here in this space, the average age of the first people coming into the study group for building love that lasts. And I was trying to make a story about it. About, I guess it's the people who last, who care that they can build love that lasts. <laughs> Something like that. It's a story. Does anybody else have a story about it? You guys are just not voracious story makers like <laughs> me, I guess. I'm an unstoppable story maker. Well, I can, my story is I've needed plenty uh, less than archetypal love experiences <laughs> to know the value of it. That's why I'm here. Thank you. Anybody else? All right. I'm discovering love. Say it again. I'm discovering love. Can you say more Through about these that? Groups. Hmm? Can you just say more about that? Mm. I'm letting go of my defenses. The blocks are starting to melt away. And I'm realizing the stories I've held in my head for a long time. And I'm allowing myself to experience love with Dave. Thank you. That's great. We'd like to just start with a poem. We're on page 257. And before before we share anything, I just want to read this poem. It's called A Dirge for Certainty. And I'm, speaking of uncertainty, I'm not even sure what the word dirge means. I think it's something like a funeral Ceremony. I don't know. I've never heard that. It's a funeral march song. Uh, okay. That would be appropriate then. So it's written in the archetypal domains, the archetypal love section of the book. And it, I thought I would like to frame up what we're, where we go today with this poem. I wrote it surprisingly. A dirge for certainty. Like a dust devil spinning out into nothing, you died quietly, you meaning certainty. The rustle of a few dead leaves in the wind, which was a surprise for me, how precious I once thought you were. You seemed solid as granite, fierce as a tax collector, deadly as a wounded vampire. I almost did not know you were gone, So engaged was I in the avalanche of new experience, liberated by your passing. I used to hang all my finest possessions on your robust branches. My expectations, my superiority, 
my resentments, my trust, only raise the temperature and the sturdiest wood transforms into ashes that can hold nothing. I have fleeting memories of a time when things fit together into nice, neat packages and made sense. Oh, what a small, tight world that was. By accident, I meet you now. You know, certainty. Lurking in the bottom of a glass, behind the betrayal, beneath a mistake. Like brushing against sheets hanging on a line to dry, I slip, pla- I slip past so as not to disturb feeling gratitude that you escorted me safely into a vaster, more mysterious world, not wishing to renegotiate. Life is better raw and unprotected without certainty. Tell me who wrote that. I suggest that was your words, Clinton. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So this journey that we're on to encompass all three worlds, you know, the upper world, middle world, and underworld, you know, all three domains of love, the power of certainty is not going to help us very much. Other kinds of compasses will be more useful. And I think I think that, uh, like Janet, what you were mentioning was developing the kinds of compasses that would value a rare thing, you know, in modern culture, something that's rare, and seek it out. So I I would like to open the space if anybody has anything to share that they'd like to share from your experiments during the week or anything. My experiment um, yesterday was with my um, 24-year-old bonus daughter, my stepdaughter. She has, uh, she, she was born screaming and she has uh, extreme mental health issues. Um, my companion dog has just come to my side and Janet Janet will know what that means Uh, I held space for her and just let her express what she needed to and then acknowledged what what Acknowledge her process and acknowledge her courage. And I saw it land. I saw it land in her. And I realized how much 
I, I've made, mm, how much I've brought mm, to that relationship and, and not just allowed her to be. Yeah, my certainty about what's right and what's wrong and what she should, shouldn't do and so forth. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, James. Go ahead, Ingrid. She was appreciating James. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I don't know if it's my profession or just mm, my good luck to notice. It seems like that essentially every person I've ever met in my entire life has been just nutso or wacko or insane to some degree sometimes. And it fluctuates in, I don't know, it's a, it's a noticeable, notable practice, for example, in this space, to sit together and paying attention and contributing and risking and listening, you know, for this period of time. And it's a kind of discipline or being housebroken. I call it being housebroken. You know, somebody who, you know, a dog doesn't sit still an instant past a trigger for barking or hunger or peeing or some other dog or a car passing or whatever a dog there is no there is no really way to do that to, except you know abusive force in a way to housebreak an, an animal but our job has been to housebreak ourselves to allow to grant us permission to to enter in and sustain our presence inside of a space like this and and that requires facing our own insanity to a big degree. And so the the insane parts of ourselves, the ones that lose it or the ones that bounce off the wall or make radically unfounded assumptions and believe they're true and then act as if they're true and these kinds of things. Um, you know, this is the norm. This is what we've been shown from the people who have the, highest positions of power in the government all the way down to whatever next door neighbors. You know, if you look at a child, when I look at a child, they're, they're most of the time they're behaving crazy and it's allowed most of the time. At least it could be allowed most of the time, as long as they're not hurting themselves or hurting somebody else or breaking stuff. You know, that, the craziness is allowed, and there's some point at which that is superficially constrained, and we have to we have to find our relationship to that constraint. And, and is it healthy? You know, is it a healthy constraint? Like a, I've I've heard the saying that you know a healthy society is one that allows people to be crazy. And so there's a way that. Uh, 
we it's necessary for us to find that and navigate that in ourselves like when is it okay to be crazy and when do we not want to be crazy when do we want to pay attention and and look bad or take risks or co-experiment or or invent with people like we have to this is this inner navigation you know usually the term inner navigation has been applied to just four feelings or between feelings and emotions or is it my feelings or somebody else's feelings that kind of thing and but it also it also is a inner navigating of the crazy parts of ourselves I don't know about you, but there was a time when I was in seventh grade, which is around 12 years old in the American school system. And I had just shifted school and I had no place in the new school. And I knew I knew no kids or anything. And uh, for some reason, I started to find one of the sort of power, power boys who was abusive. And I put myself in his way to be abused and I, but I, I took it as if he was giving me positive attention. So I was warping his gestures towards me as if, uh, as if what he was doing was, was great for me. And so, you know, this went on for, I don't know how many months, three, four, five, six months, something like that. And, and so I, I had this space to act crazy like he would walk by when we're standing in line and he would touch my shoulder and he see, I just put a snake on your shoulder and I would just flip out. I would freak out and hit the floor and scream and people all laughed and they thought it was funny. And then I would just stand up and get back in line. And so this went on for a while until one day I just got tired of it. And I don't know if that was a point where it became not okay for me to go crazy, but I just said, no, you didn't. You must be crazy. I mean, everybody can see you did not put a snake on my shoulder. You must be crazy. And it and it was over then. <clears throat> the whole game was over. But I wonder about it sometimes in terms of how people manage, how you manage your craziness. How have you managed it? You know, we have this description of two types of gremlins in terms of the gremlin transformation work. And one type of gremlin has been integrated into our survival strategy as one of our primary weapons. We call this gremlin type number one. It's the forefront. You know, it's at the, it's our main card we play. Something comes up, gremlin comes out. You know, we have a problem, gremlin comes out. We have an enemy, gremlin comes out, whatever. And type two is the kind of, of survival strategy where, our um, our objective was to be seen as a good person, a nice person, a safe person, to be uh, quiet or nice or to fit in. And what we when our gremlin impulses came up, we viciously de- suppressed them in insofar as locking that part of ourselves with chains in a crate in the basement, in the corner, in the dark, forever, with a curse on it, you know, as a way of assuring that we would not be classified as somebody who's not a good person, therefore not worth uh, helping or not, not allowing to fit into the group as a way of survival. And so those two generalized, um, I say generalized because most of us have suppressed at least part of our gremlin in some way. 
and, and so it's this, there's a whole work in the gremlin transformation work called gremlin reconstruction, where the parts of our gremlin that we've just uh, broken off and hidden away and suppressed are able to come back. We, we bring them back as a huge healing process. It's a retrieval process in the two kinds of Arkan shamanism, well, four kinds of Arkan shamanism. There's one of the processes is to, is a, banishment and one is a retrieval one is initiation one is transformation but this would be a retrieval process of bringing our out of control you know suppressed depressed controlled part of our gremlin back into our world as as part of our being that's available to us at any time then from then on is a retrieval process of great importance and so So anything about that? I mean, anything about that from anybody? Yes. I I see myself as Gremlin 2, type 2. Like I have this, and I had this process last week where I, I saw my Gremlin for the first time and I see that there is a lot of uh, fear to to really let this like with my gremlin I, I saw my, my my gremlin wanted to hide and to to not show himself and yeah I'm sad that that it was I'm sad that it was like that that I that this was the the way that I had to to do it, and it's it's not just this thing of like stealing or or comparing. It's also the creation part that I just said no, creating is not okay. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the reason this is relevant in this space is because I just a friend of mine, one of the trainers, Michael Portner, was talking with him recently, and he was remarking how after all these years of him being in possibility management and long ago hearing that relating is an ongoing act of nonlinear creating, he heard the idea long ago, but but all of a sudden it makes sense to him now, and how. That's where the craziness needs to be integrated, well integrated, because any new creation at first seems crazy or it's not new. Any creation, any invention, any offer that is not ordinary at first seems crazy or it doesn't or it's simply repetition of something from before. And so if it's not you don't have access to the craziness, to the crazy power in you and in the world as a as a an element of your of yourself, of your being, an element of your reality. That's it's actually a tool or a force that's readily available to use. If you don't have that, there will be a lack of aliveness. You won't have enough aliveness to invent with, in terms of relating is an ongoing 
active nonlinear creation. You just won't have the the force of it. So part of when part of the when we grieve or honor the passing of of our own certainty, because certainty was so for so long it was reinforced as the optimal value to know, to have the right answer, you know, to be the one in the space who's correct. And that was such a high value all through school and maybe other places. Then to get to a place where you can stand with both feet on the ground, center, grounding cord and bubble, and let the certainty fall off. There's what, what's, you know, what's left? What do you have left? I mean, a certainty is sort of like a religion. You would have to believe in your own certainty. You know, it's right or it's correct or it will be approved or it fits in. And you kind of look around to, to make sure your catechism is correctly memorized. You know, you have the right uh, appropriate worldview, appropriate behaviors and thoughts and those kind of things. And then it's like a religion. And it and to let the religion fall off, what's left? If you've depended on the religion for a long time and you let it fall off, what's left? And this is a, it's heresy. You know, it's its radical. This is blasphemy to let certainty fall off and let and bring the crazy parts back into your world so that you have the resources for navigating archetypal domains and as a force of creation because you i don't think it really works to be a consumer a relation a relating consumer in the archetypal domains you in in ordinary of course everybody's consuming everything from everybody and even in the extraordinary there's a level of appropriateness or like fairness some kind of fairness about about it but in the archetypal domains, you don't there's it's like eating light or eating electricity, like or eating sparks that come off of a sparkler, or eating a vacuum, things like that. It's like how you don't get to consume that stuff. You can participate in it and co-create it and fly with it or or inter- interact with it or dance with it, but but you know, it doesn't really work to consume it. And so when the religion part falls off of of certainty and sanity, and it falls off, what are you left with? Well, you're left with being under your own recognizance. And what that means is radical responsibility. What that means is you, there's nobody to blame. You don't get to blame anyone for anything because you're sourcing it, because you're the source of it. And that's what, and that's how it's, that's how it works in the archetypal domains. That's how it works. It's just like the physics are different. The laws of physics work differently. And, and so I'm glad we're talking about this because, you know, I, for me, there's still a couple hundred or three, almost 300 more pages of this book. You know, we're only halfway through the book and we're in the archetypal domains. And so I feel like we're just still getting into it. And there's a huge shift in terms of what we stand on, what we, how the world works or looks, how the, what do you want to call it, technologies, how, how the mechanisms work, how, what your tools are, you know, what you have to bring forward into a space. And that when it's radical responsibility and 
you don't get to consume and none of the old uh, you know traditional benefits for irresponsibility there's like there's loopholes there's a a map that i was shown long ago about and it and it looks like a pyramid sometimes we draw this pyramid and it's in this map at the bottom of the pyramid there's a lot of rules all kinds of rules it's like the country of germany it's like they have more rules in that country than all the other countries put together they have so <laughs> many rules and in and so in the ordinary domains in the ordinary domains there's so many rules and they do not apply very strictly so there's loopholes everywhere you can get around this you can forget that you can let go of this you can skip over that there's all these it's how it works in the in the it sounds like brazil you know it's like these kind of <laughs> there's loopholes everywhere oh perhaps there's some tax i forgot to pay you know there's there's ways through all of the all the rules but you start going up the pyramid and the farther you go up this pyramid it's like the mountain in mount analog it's a book by rene delmal we highly recommended book it's not very thick not sometimes not easy to find but it's really highly recommended especially the notes in the back of the book that were written by his wife and after he died she was with him in the book writing and captured his notes and put him in the back of the book and so that whole thing is really valuable but in the the higher up you go the oxygen is less i mean so there's there's fewer and fewer rules as you go up this mountain but they apply more strictly there's more consequence for breaking the rule for breaking the law you know it goes like that and so you'll start to notice in your work with other people like you feel this force of it's like almost like a moral force or an ethical force or something like that. It's not written down anywhere. There's no agreement that you made, but it's like, okay, I cannot do that. I will not do that. Or I have to do that. I must do that. You know, as part of part of your world, there's these forces that start showing up and they have to do with integrity or your word or, or making promises or taking a stand for things or showing up in a certain way that in the ordinary world would be oh would be neurotic or seen as foolish or wasteful or something but then as you go higher and higher up into the more archetypal domains it's it's the it's paying your dues or it's paying it forward like paying it forward like doing it for someone before they have a chance to do it for you and they then they can pay it forward to someone else. Go ahead, Eva. I want to share something about the gremlin reconstruction process. Go ahead. I, I did the reconstruction process maybe three weeks ago or so. And then part of the process was to give the gremlin new jobs. And one of the jobs, my the new jobs for my gremlin was to give me non-linear possibilities to relate to people and then we did this process where it was about because I, I was noticing that there were two jobs one was catching other people's gremlins and that immediately like worked super like it, it was just so obvious but I think I have much more practice with that one it was just like yeah it, it's just quicker it's clearer and and it's 
it, it's working. And the other one, I noticed it's not working. Somehow my reconstruction failed or so. And then we did this practice where it was about finding out how the box is actually snapping back, you know, like when the, when it's, when it's this, this new force, this, this, this higher energy that's wants to start like going crazy or trying things that the box is just not okay with, then it's, it's immediately snaps back. And what I found was that when we did this practice, it, it felt really like going through this eye of a needle where, where I had either the possibility to, to obey my box and, you know, pull myself together, try to be the strong one in relating, try to work, try like be functional, try to be, yeah, somehow have my sovereignty or so. And then on the other side was this total collapse into child emotions and, and somehow nothing in between. Or I got this impression that in between is just this nothing, this, this space where I have no clue how relating goes, just zero. It's, it's, it's empty. And yeah, that's, and when you were speaking now about un dropping uncertainty, I think it's, it's, it's feeling like exactly dropping into this hole in between collapsing into old emotions or emotional states or just being caught in relating from my box. Thank you. Yeah, these are definitely um, signs on the road. Uh, street signs, uh, you know, indicators, signs. You know, and the the the, the job for the gremlin that will prove to be really almost the most effective in the archetypal domains is the job is to catch himself. Hmm. And because he's quicker, faster, smarter, weirder than any uh, anybody else, and everybody has to learn his whole rule book before they can even start catching him. And so, I remember when I told when I got to my gremlin and faced him and just said, "Your job is to catch yourself and report to me when you're about to do something, not after, not during, but when you're about to do something. Then you report to me immediately and you catch yourself." And and it's a game, you know. I, I did it as a game. It's like, can you catch yourself? Because nobody else can. So can you? How good are you? And it that works. And and in terms of the archetypal domains, that would be a practice to to start adopting. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Eva. I'll read uh, Ingrid. I want to share about gremlin growing. I like that. I noticed to, to I noticed to be around with a person, in this case my husband, who has a strong unconscious gremlin, teaches me to allow my gremlin to grow and to integrate the lost parts of my gremlin, which I suppressed by having a type two gremlin. I need a strong conscious gremlin to be healthy and to stay healthy besides a big unconscious gremlin. And I'm ready to let my gremlin become stronger by simultaneously paying attention to my other ego states. 
Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I I heard somebody told me of an experiment they're doing and maybe that's along these lines of gremlin growing is to notice when in a situation and those would not be really archetypal situation that would be more ordinary when there's a gremlin that is attacking even in subtle ways um is her experiment was to she pumps up her gremlin it's like as if it's like a like a how do you call it a tire and she just like makes it bigger and be like I'm not going to let myself, you know, be eaten by your gremlin. And she just has this pump, pumped up gremlin and can stay in connection, but the other person's gremlin does not get to undermine the space. And it's just, yeah, so um, that could be an experiment to try in, in terms of navigating gremlin in, in relating. I did not get it fully. Like, how did she pump up the gremlin? Well, it's basically, I mean, you can have this picture of, you know, when you pump up a tire, like, or a balloon. Okay. And But it's really with an energetic intention of letting her gremlin, you know, or letting your gremlin be, like, bigger than you think it is, in a way. It's not as big as it is. It's bigger than you think it is. Especially bigger than their gremlin. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I am the great gremlin in this space. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you. Because I was fascinated by, because, you know, in the reconstruction, my gremlin also grew. And then I was holding space for this workshop. And there was this, this man with just a huge gremlin. And I think for me, it works better not to fight. That's what I used to do. I used to try to fight. And then, then it was just, you know, I, I'd lost already. And for me, it was somehow just having this reconstructed gremlin, it, it basically worked by itself just to, to, to get, oh, wow, yeah, that's his gremlin. That's fascinating. Wow. And then, well, I'm, I'm saying stop and that's it. And I'm just staying connected all the time and I can just see that it's just okay. And then he comes again. Yeah. Wow. That's just another move of your gremlin. And I'm not having it in this space. And it felt so, for me, it was such a relaxation with no fuss, whatever. I wasn't stressed out. There was no adrenaline, nothing. <laughs> and it was such, like, moving with ease. And That's exactly <laughs> what this would cause. That's the point of it. The point yeah. is, not, is not to fight. The point of it is to, you know, essentially own the other gremlin through... Awareness, and then yeah. yeah. Thank you. And Ingrid is saying it's in a way allow yourself to be a conscious asshole. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, this is going to be this will be a challenge from here on out because. Most people that you relate with, either in your relating with them or in your relating with them about their relating with other people, um, you you will have more distinctions, more sensibilities, more more perceptions, more possibilities than they could even imagine. 
because of the work and the study that you've been doing with yourself. And this automatically makes it that if you're, for example, if your gremlin gets a hold of that you're more powerful than they are in the domain of relating, you can run circles around them. Your gremlin could run circles in terms of being arrogant or being superior or being faster or being smarter, you know, being more powerful, like all these things that are gremlin payoffs that could happen if, if you, if it was not too painful to do it. So while you're learning all these things, you're simultaneously accessing more pain because if you were to behave that way, it would be too painful to do it. Whereas before you could not even imagine to be doing something like that. And so the conscious asshole is uh, this potential to not be in automatic agreement with your surroundings. You don't have to agree with whatever your surroundings are saying, even if they outvote you a thousand to one, you still do not have to agree. And that's what this, the conscious asshole's power really is, is in sourcing your own space, your own, you know, cavitating, holding and navigating the context of your own space and not submitting it to any other space for any reason at all. And that's, that's what the conscious asshole actually means. So it's, and what I'm saying is from here on out, it will be like that. You will, you will have the potential, like I said, to feed your gremlin in weird little ways because of what you are capable of now. But it, but it will be too painful to do that. I mean, let me read this next section in the book here. It's number four. And it's called cultivating the broken heart, cultivating the broken heart. In one way or another, each of us has been wounded in order to develop the matrix of consciousness upon which our being can grow. Our childhood innocence must in some matter, manner, in some manner and at some point in time be taken away from us. This is saying your innocence from childhood must be taken away from you for you to access the world. Whether the destruction of your innocence is, is brutal and extended or precise and swift, it does not much matter to reality. It can matter to you, but it doesn't have to matter to reality. It just needs to happen so you get access to reality. What matters is that at some point, like now, we gain the clarity about what happened to us from the perspective of a bigger picture about the process you're involved in. What is important is that you come to understand the necessity, value, and use of shattered innocence, of your own shattered innocence. Innocence may be shattered through being betrayed or abandoned, or abused, or through losing something that you cherish, or being struck, being stuck with something that you don't cherish, that you hate, being stuck with it. One person's innocence is shattered by being born prematurely, 
and living their first three months in a plastic incubator. Another person's innocence is shattered by being sent to public school when they were five years old. Someone else's innocence is destroyed by the psycho-emotional terrors perpetrated on their family by an alcoholic father or a choleric mother or by a disease or by an accident requiring surgery or by being sexually molested or by someone else suddenly dying by natural disaster or the effect of war. Whatever exactly happened to you, whatever story you produce about what happened to you, the consequence of the wounding will be the same at the moment of the wounding as it is now, even if the wounding was lifetimes ago. The result of the wounding will be objective. Having the same result from person to person, the result of the wounding is a broken heart. To move into the space of archetypal love requires that broken heart. Your first reaction to the image of having a broken heart could well be revulsion. You know, you don't like it. A broken heart is, looks like a weakness or a vulnerability that saddles you with a handicap for the rest of your life. I mean, what could it mean, quote unquote, a broken heart? First of all, it is not the heart that is broken. The heart is fine. What breaks is the agglomerated encrustations around your heart, the shield around your heart, the cement that you put up around your heart, this hard stuff that you use to protect your heart, that you collected as a buffer zone to protect your heart against experiencing an intensity of feelings you thought you could never bear. That's what breaks. You defended your heart in order to survive, and it worked. You did survive. Your intention was noble and successful. Your intention was to take care of yourself so that you could continue to live. And you lived, and you grew, and you matured, until that which once defended you has now become your prison. You get that? That which once defended you has now become your prison. What may be happening now is that you are outgrowing your own defense strategy. You're outgrowing it. You don't fit in it anymore. You know, like a baby chicken does not fit in the egg anymore, like that. The tricks you created to stay untouchable become as irrelevant as diapers, as unnecessary as a baby bottle as extraneous as training wheels on your bicycle. You know, you outgrow those things. And in in the domain of the, the diapers and the baby bottle and the training wheels on your bicycle, there are forces out there that would wake you up to that. You know, okay, you don't need your, you don't need your baby bottle anymore. Your mom might say that. Or you can drink out of a glass, you know, or you don't need the training wheels on your bike anymore. Look, they're just in the way. Now you can drive without them. And so, but in in the internal world, things that we're talking about, about a broken heart, there's not really somebody around says, hey, you don't need to defend your heart like that anymore. 
The broken heart is hard earned. Means means you pay a price when that thing, when that when that shell around your heart starts cracking and falling off, and you start opening, it, you you notice it. Uh, what seems comfortable and normal normal starts to fall away, and that's why it says there's a high price or it's hard earned. And and it's commonly perceived <clears throat> as an avoidable evil, like. It's pictured like to become vulnerable or it looks like weakness. And it's looked like, well, if you take the right pills, if you go to the right positive thinking seminar, you read the right books and you use the right mantras, you know, you don't ever have to have a broken heart. It's avoidable evil. It's something that God lets happen as an oversight. You know, it should not happen to you. That's what that's what we think. An extraordinary event must occur to shift a victim's view of having a broken heart to include its true value. How is one to responsibly understand and use the pain of deceit and betrayal to expand compassion rather than shrink it? How can a broken heart serve archetypal love? The answer is counterintuitive. A broken heart is so tender and raw that considering doing violence to another person or to nature feels like raw skin scraping on a hot pavement. It's not the pain of being violated, but the pain of being about to cause violence yourself that changes you. I'm just going to read that one again. It is not, it is not the the pain of being violated, but the pain of being about to cause violence yourself that changes you. When pain about your own unconscious behavior wakes you up to the depth of your unconsciousness, then your broken heart changes the way you behave. That's when your behavior changes. You care too much about the being of a person to be insulted by their box. It doesn't their box doesn't even matter anymore. You cannot even pretend to take revenge or to be interested in taking revenge because it's like, you know, sticking your head in a full toilet and, you know, just leaving your head there. That's what revenge is like. Why take revenge against a sleeping machine? You know, a per- the other person's box, this automatic sleeping machine, when there is a living being inside of there, that you could love. So I just want to explain, you know, this is in no way saying let yourself be abused. That's not what this is about at all. It's not. I mean, there was a time in my life when I was driving down the road after having been in Europe where they have circles. You know, you come to an intersection and there's a, a circle and you just keep driving around the circle and go off wherever you want to go. There was a time in my life, maybe I was back in America or someplace, and I had to come to a stop sign. Not even a stop light. It was a stop sign. And it was the law that I had to stop or I would be given a, you know, a ticket. I would be breaking the law. And it, to me, it was so painful that this that I had to stop, that there was a, you know, because in reality, I already knew that we could, everybody could keep driving. 
nobody had to stop ever if you had a circle there. If you just redesign the intersection, nobody has to stop. And so it's this lower technology. I guess what I'm trying to say is that there's this um, lower design criteria. You know, oh, let's put up a stop sign, you know, and everybody can stop. And like, okay, okay. Do you know how much gasoline it burns? Do you know how much time that wastes? Do you know, et cetera, et cetera, how much frustration that builds up in people, you know, and how many people get killed when somebody decides not to stop, et cetera. So, so it's like this, that's what I mean by a sleeping machine. Like get you taking revenge against a sleeping machine rather than being in love with the being that's inside of it. You don't even, you don't even look at the machine. When you accept the unexpurgated experience, mean unfiltered experience, the direct experience of your own broken heart, there may come times when you think you want to die of overwhelm from shame or from isolation or from depression or grief or remorse, but you do not die. Instead, you live on within an intensity of experience far above what you previously defined as the maximum limit. You get that? You just go on living. You go on living far above with an intensity of experience far above what you previously defined as your maximum limit. Even if you do not know how this process works, you continue living. In these times where it's so intense like that, that's when you get to hit bottom, this quote, this thing called hit bottom. This is when you enter reality. You have given up trying to control the circumstances and have become fluid to a level that you previously assumed would drive you crazy. Then you discover that in these times, you are to a high degree transparent to the principles that serve what is wanted and needed in a space, the bright principles. It's like you become so radically honest, you're serving bright principles without concern for the outcome. You you know, it's not strategic. It's not planned. You're not trying to be a nice person. You just move by the bright principles. You take actions. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you just, you just move. And you, before you had to strategize and think and decide. And this is saying, no, you let it get, when you hit bottom, you just move. So you become transparent to the bright principles that serve what is wanted and needed in this space because your box does not care to interfere with its dreary opinions anymore. It's like the, they become like background radio noise from your box. It just not even has no power. As paradoxical as this may sound, in my experience, the upper world is entered through the bottom of the underworld. There's a song from Lee Loswick, and the words go something like, digging through the mud to get to the sky. Digging through the mud to get to the sky. So it's, it's counterintuitive, like I said. You think you should go towards the light, you know, meditate more and eat more celery and, you know, look like stuff like that. And and that will bring you to some kind of transcendence or something. And this is saying, all right, what we're saying is that 
you hit bottom at the bottom of the underworld and you stay there and all of us and that's where it opens up that's where you get access to archetypal stuff your broken heartedness gives you answers that you thought could only be found elsewhere through struggle or merit struggle like meaning sitting on a cushion for 20 years meditation in those quote-unquote worst of times as you look back on your life you see that having abundant compassion towards your own broken heart is what finally makes sense i mean gurdjieff george gurdjieff was a spiritual teacher in, in france in the 20s 30s and 40s of the last century and one of his sayings was <clears throat> Good situation, bad situation. Bad situation, good situation. And because because there is so much to learn and pay attention to and wake up about in a bad situation. But if you think you had everything worked out, all your bills were paid, and everybody loves you, and you think that's a good situation, you just don't learn anything. So he was a master at creating bad situations for people. Really, he was a, he was a master at that. I mean, he paid this drunken asshole idiot guy to move into their house. He had a, a like a community house in Fontainebleau, like south of Paris. And he paid this guy to come in and just shit on the floor, make messes and stay up late playing music and, you know, curse and like do all this stuff. So people had to work because he had they were too, they were too civilized, you know, in his house. And he had to pay it. I'll go hire this guy off the street. <laughs> people could not believe it. They're like. What? You, what? You know, we had it so good. He goes, yes, that's the problem. So if you practice delaying your reflexive moves, like the automatic reactions that you have, if you delay them, those moves that try to patch up the cracks in your heart, you know, the ones that try to make everything better on your heart, plaster it over, paint it, sand it down, cement it, put more, you know, steel bar reinforcements around, fiberglass it over, you know, all these things. If, if you practice delaying that, then the heart will gradually relax into staying open even when it hurts. To have your heart stay open even when it hurts. You develop distinctions between the different kinds of hurting. Is it fear? Is it anger? Is it sadness? Is it joy? Yes, joy hurts. Is this a feeling or is it emotion from the past? Is this my pain or someone else's pain? Is this feeling mixed together with other feelings or emotions or is it a pure feeling? How big is it? What percentage big is it? Accepting your own broken heart is a new experience. Your whole body may find empathy, may become unpredictably kind and generous. For no reason that you can imagine, it may sense what is happening in its own proximity as if it is happening to itself. And like this psychic sense starts showing up and opening up because it's not because your heart wants to feel these things, but by the very fact that it is broken and no longer protected with a sense of already knowing certainty, it cannot help but feel those things. The broken heart opens to wide band exchange, both with other people and with specific situations and with the universe. 
it encounters a new kind of energetic flow through. Sooner or later, you come to discover that the experiences that shattered your innocence and eventually broke your heart open gave you the exact reference points and sensitivities that you need to serve others and fulfill your destiny, your archetypal lineage. Your pain has been your apprenticeship. A broken heart becomes the gateway to archetypal relating domains when you accept the totality of its brokenness. There's a difference between accepting brokenheartedness as a permanent condition and enduring a broken heart as a temporary strategy, just long enough to get through a moment of anguish. Enduring a broken heart is conditional, but archetypal love is unconditional. Archetypal love cannot land in the relationship space you hold until you're willing for it to be there forever. And then archetypal love comes and goes as it pleases. By trying to endure a temporary broken heart without accepting an irreparably broken heart, the wall stays in place. A man's broken heart exposes him to unspeakably precious experiences that were too frightening for a heart that was guarded by a reactionary machine guns. Experiences that were previously too intense become suddenly too temporary. Tenderly caressing the aliveness in your partner's hand enchants you endlessly. Within the field of your delicate attentions, her sheness unfolds into none other than the true archetypal feminine, the astonishing goddess, the same one who was Mary Magdalena to Jesus, who was Shakti to Shiva, who was Radha to Krishna, this radiantly alluring she-being stands in relationship to you, and every cell in your system tingles with that connection. You smell the musky warmth of her skin. You stroke the electric tangles of her hair. Maximum womanliness fully and richly responds to your glance. She speaks into your fortunate ears. She willingly spends precious moments of her life sharing ordinary chores with you while exuding flawless beauty, every breath and gesture only full of love. She envelops you in her nurturing and healing balm of legendary proportions, the taste of which you can neither absorb enough nor appreciate enough. Being too close aches as much as being too distant, and yet she is the focus of your unquenchable longing when you appreciate and accept your own broken heart. End of section.
Maybe Janet, you could share some of that. Janet, are you willing to share it? I'll read what Ingrid wrote. Say, I feel fear to say this. I went back to my husband because I accepted to live forever Mm -hmm. with the pain of my broken heart. And before before the section that Clinton just read, um, Ingrid wrote, um, I did for about four weeks an experiment to be in the bright principle of awe. When I notice a big gremlin and this experiment prepared me to be, no, is the basis of being a conscious asshole. So that was from the previous conversation. By principle of awe. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thanks. That means awe. Yeah. It's in German. Wonderment. Okay. Thank you. Hmm. Yeah. Janet, the door is open if you would would like to share that. You don't have to, but if you're willing to, that would be great. (laughs) Feeling the pain I've caused in having my heart guarded by a reactionary machine gun (laughs) because I've actually always been this sensitive (laughs) (laughs) one party wants to just put the mute on and cry by myself (laughs) and talk when I can talk you're welcome to do that if you want. But please talk to us because these are jewels. What I've opened up, particularly this year in the two labs with you both, is bringing back a vial of energy I split. I somehow vacuumed up for the whole village lifetimes ago. Makes no sense to me talking now. And I brought that vibe of energy back in the February lab. Mm-hmm. And in the March lab, bringing back energies that are needed for this time in history. And what's come with it is what I'm, we did a, an amazing process in the Everything lab of our cervical gates, our energetic cervical gates, and realising I have blamed man for entering my space and made him into an asshole when actually I haven't guarded the feminine garden and my feminine gates. And going through these processes... Not only is it cervical, energetic cervical energy, but what I keep saying, it's clitoral sensitivity. 
And I don't have to live in this world with that much sensitivity, Clinton. I'm talking to you because I'm on my phone. Yes, it makes sense. I don't defend myself at all around James. I haven't seen him for eight days. And to now not have that around has been quite shocking. (laughs) Yes, I have been the machine gun reactionary woman to protect this level of sensitivity. And James sent me a message. (laughs) I'm glad I can laugh now. Sent a message last night. I'd already gone to sleep. See you bright and early, meaning for the study group. Or you can't send a message like that to a system like mine. Fuck, bright and early. So I messaged him at 12.37, did you mean this early? (laughs) He said no. (laughs) So at 4.50 he sends back, no, I meant this early <laughs> so oh I'm sweating so I've been listening to Kevin Burnham's what you put on Facebook Clinton or whoever put it on there earth magic and I, so it's comforting to know there's plenty other people know how to live in the world with this level of sensitivity and I'm still guarding it in plenty places and using the archetypal love for drinkable rivers, for replenished oceans, for recovering Gaia, and for things way beyond this individual's life. Yeah. I don't know if any of that made sense, Clinton. (laughs) Or everybody else. Seems like it's Thank you. When you read that, Clinton, I I I sense to myself the story that just Gremlin Type One has this reactive machine gun. And then I realized that as a gremlin type two, I have it against myself. And yeah, and, and this, the sentence compassion to myself and to my heart is really touching me. Yeah. There's a story, almost like a science fiction story, called Down in the Black Gang. And I don't remember the author. It's a short story, but it's a story about a guy who's sent to Earth, which is known everywhere in the galaxy as a dark place. And it, the Black Gang are the people in the engine room of the large steamship or the locomotive or the factory. The Black Gang are the people who shovel the coal in. And so they do for their life. They're covered with coal dust, sweat, hot. And all they do is shovel coal in to burn, you know, to make hell hot, basically. 
That's how they make, make hell hot. And this guy, he's, he's a, like a secret agent sent from Echo down into Earth to find this little girl who's a jewel. She's, she's, she's a jewel. She's going to be, she's a source of light, you know, like coal changed into a diamond, essentially. And his job is to make sure that happens. And it's just how he does it. He causes these things to happen. And then she, she just shines for the rest of her life. But it's not because she wasn't in a hell world or not tortured or not, you know, her parents were completely awful. And yet that, he was sent down there to 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 unle you know to like make it safe for her light to shine because that was so precious in the entire universe, not just on Earth, but in the entire universe. That kind of light shining, like Janet was talking about, serves so much more. I want to share that I think about my relation to the Minister of Education and about that uh, I can protect myself, I can attack him, but I don't know, want to do either of that. And I don't see that possibility to pump my gremlin to be as big as him because he should be like a mountain and I can empathy, um, like, mm, have empathy for him and see a child in him, but I can't relate with him like, uh, I can't see an adult person in him to like, talk to him like a partner for me. And, uh, so I don't see that path for me to connect with him in any way. Let me explain it a different way. What is he arguing for? I could guess, but you could also tell me. What he wants? Yeah, what is he arguing so that it exists? What is he trying to make exist? He um, he wants students to uh, get up early in the morning to uh, like to world look normal <laughs> everybody goes to school everybody works yeah so he's he's arguing for control mm -hmm. he's, he's arguing for conformity uniformity control yes okay what are you arguing for What's your I'm story? arguing. Mm -hmm. What's your story? I want students to know that they have possibility to choose education that they want, and I create that um, ecosystem where where they can take the um, authority back and to to decide and to um, relate to others. So, so the, arguing, there's much variety and freedom. Yeah. So you're arguing for 
choice, freedom, authority, personal responsibility. Okay. So you see these two arguments? Which one mm-hmm. is already which of these two arguments has already won? I don't see that. One of those arguments has already won. Or maybe I don't understand what is already won. That's why I'm telling this to you. One of these arguments has already conquered the situation. One has precedence. One prevails. One of these con- one of these arguments already prevails. Which one is it? Prevails means uh, exists. No. Wins. It's like Win. wins. To it be already, bigger. In, in the okay, argument. okay. So the control is bigger now in the world. Which one? No. Which one wins? <clears throat> Here's another way to look at it. Okay. You put, if you put a candle in a dark room, uh, okay, so you tell me that I'm not, um, or something that I, that I represent is not smaller than him, or what he is representing. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. If you put a candle in a dark room, what do you have? Mm-hmm. I have light. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So you don't even have to argue. Mm-hmm. You can come from the place of having already won. And you just look at the guy as a poor, crippled, handicapped, you know, damaged something, creature, and and just keep explaining how it is. And you can have pity, you can have pity on him. Or like, what were you going to say? I was going to say, and mostly the explaining is not going to be to him. It's going to be for other people. You keep explaining to other people how it is. Because that's the people who can be inspired by the light. Whereas the other person is going to try to defend himself against the light. And you can just repeat mm-hmm. what I just said. You can just say, look, look at the conversation that we're having here. Mm-hmm. Somebody's arguing for control, domination, you know, slavery, <clears throat> you know, suppression of potential. And, and there's another argument, there's another possibility. So that's what's going on here. So there's not even a contest. There's just not even a contest. The one, okay. the fact that there is somebody, you know, the fact that there is someone, you taking a stand, that conversation has already won. What were you going to say? Isn't it uh, like bad and good? No. It's kind of like one and zero. You have a one and a zero. Which one prevails? Because I th- there there was a time when I was trying to see bright principles in him and what he's talking, but it just 
eaten my energy and not much happened. Yeah, that would, that would be fighting. You'd be trying to fight then. You don't have to fight. Good. I mean, one other ways to say it, maybe it has to do with this idea of compassion, of what compassion is, because it was mentioned in the in the text. And I think there's this idea that compassion is about, well, I understand why people um, like root, like uh, are behind unconsciousness because they were tortured, because they were abused, because it was done to them. So I'm trying to understand where they're coming from. And, and that's, that's would not be compassion. That would be story making. It would be a fantasy world, something like that. And so compassion is, being with what is, with no story. And being with you as you are, with no story that you're bad or evil, or no story that you you have a reason, a good reason for doing what you're doing. But it's just, you, you're fighting for this, you're promoting something, and I'm promoting something else. And that thing has already won. Okay, thank you. Yeah, something like that. Thank you. And and also there there's something about um that when you when you maybe have the sensation of that actually like you have this light like Clinton said and then it's already bringing light that I noticed in myself that then in the conversation I fall back into, uh, even if I'm not on the hook on the defense strategy of the other person, but I get on hooked by, by, by what Uncle just said. This that I ha I have empathy for his his or her defense strategy, and then I also fall back into having a very narrow um, perspective in the way I, I speak about things and then I fall back into um, explaining to him or explaining to her instead of making it bigger and speaking for the people that I that I stand for that I'm taking a stand for so that that I I sometimes feel for, for me as a woman I'm so used to when I notice that I actually have have a point, especially in front of a man, that I then I'm I feel the fear of that, that this is working, that I'm falling back on other strategies than to 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 go back to the to the conversation I had before, or to go to be hooked again by by the other gremlin, or to make it okay that that there's a defense strategy. It's like, um, it's something energetical. I, I don't really have words for it, but. Thank you. Maybe you can hear what I'm saying. Thank you. Yeah, really useful practice for that. Christina is to be clear which culture you, you stand in, which, what is the context of your culture? And if you try to have quote unquote compassion, it sounds like what you're doing instead is going back into their culture. Hmm. Lose your culture. So compassion is not about losing your culture. <clears throat> We're being adaptive to their culture. It's not compassion. Yeah, thank you. 
a few other people that would have some things to say, I think. Uh, yes, I am connected recently with a, a bunch of parents who were at the workshop by uh, a guy called Jinan who's talking about how basically school and schooling children is blocking their learning. Anyhow, we are in this group of parents having conversations about everything around unschooling and stuff. And what I notice now with experimenting that I like part of my broken heartbrokenness was to mother everyone. I like to rescue everyone, to mother everyone, to to be good and take care and whatever. And also um yeah being um, disappointed by yeah that uh, family doesn't work like all these illusions and stuff and yeah, I'm, I'm experimenting with not being a mother like to I bet we can't hear you anymore you you have to get closer to the microphone than Sumaya okay uh, and now I'm I'm experimenting with not being a mother and yeah, this is exactly what you said, Clinton. Like the automatism is want me to do something and then I have to stop for a minute and check. Okay. Like society wants, like the culture I'm living in wants me to be a mother and have some kind of idea how, how I should behave and stuff. But my child actually doesn't need a mother, right? She yeah. in every moment needs somebody to relate to, someone to tell her what's going on here or how this works or whatever to take something down for her which is too high or, and she doesn't need a mother and I yeah I constantly have conversations with mothers and this is exactly what my challenge is right now to to stay in my culture to have compassion yes. and to, to get okay I've done so much rage work and this and that to be where I am right now to you know, to see this box, mother box getting on and seeing them running in these circles of what their parents want, what school want, to fight society against vaccination, against school. And yeah, anyhow, I am, uh, yeah, I'm experimenting also in public to, to not behave as a mother. <laughs> <laughs> for example we were shopping when the call started and we were in the train and we were uh, at yeah one of the most um, busy public spaces here in the area and uh, yeah and I just let her do her thing and well, I was listening to you and people were looking at me and I could read in their eyes and for me the experiment is to yeah, to not fight it, to not fight myself, to not fight my impulses, to not just to be with what is. And I'm glad to hear everything what was said till now because it, get, it gives me words to what I'm doing or what's going on for me. Like, to not have this conversation or to not get into the fight I used to go. In. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Hamid. <laughs> Thank you.
Wow. Thank you. <clears throat> Somebody else, yes? I think yeah. James I says something. <clears throat> James uh, Andrews. <laughs> He's cooking it under his hat. Yeah. You're muted, and we would like to hear you. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting with those, with those words, I, with this image, this, of a, a such rich language, this, this um image of a, of a broken heart, uh, a broken heart cracked open and, and falling out the bottom of a, of the swamp. And 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 as it's falling out the bottom of the swamp, it's it's become transparent, and the and the and bright principles are shining through it. So that's it's just that's the kind of the image, the, the residual image that's that's energetic image that's sitting in me now after hearing those words. Thank you. Thank you. I'm just thinking that. I know it's I'm I will not probably not hold space for that work talk, but there could be a work talk held and the 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 title would be What is your heart breaking about? Or heartbrokenness. Mm -hmm. And to have a whole discovery about you know, a space for people to actually have space to let their heart break. Just simply that and say what it is about. So the invitation is out there. Is somebody here interested? Would they be willing to hold that kind of work talk space? Janet. The yes. world the world is big, so there's more than there's mm -hmm. room for more than one. Just in case anybody else wanted to do that. Hold a safe space for people to let their broken heart break even more. Isabel. James Andrew, will you hold it with me? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I might do it in one of the groups that I'm already in, in person. Because I like that topic. I think it would make for a good conversation. I think it would set a precedent too. But bring boxes of tissue, okay, Phyllis? <laughs> <laughs> Will do. I when you read that, Clinton, I noticed that I've I think I've maneuvered myself into a trap because I have this story that because my heart was so broken, I got ill. Mm. And so I'm, I don't want to ever do anything again to get my heart broken again. And, and somehow this door has opened up that what got me ill was the drama about it. Like, swamp. You're breaking up a little bit. Can you say it again? 
what got you ill? Yeah. What got me ill? Like, um, this was just open that what got me ill wasn't the heartbreak. It was the swamp I created out of it. It was all the drama I, all the stories I put there, all the victim story I just wallowed in. Yeah. And, <sighs> yeah, I, I don't know what to do with that, but it's, I'm glad about the door that has opened. Yeah, but I think you've learned a lot. Yeah. So you learn to inter-navigate and you go, okay, this is sadness, this is fear, whatever. And you go, okay, I've already been at 100% intense. I can go there anytime and I can mix it. I can mix the two together and have despair if I want, you know, or isolation. I can unmix them. I can do all those things, you know. So mm -hmm. then you're no longer a victim. You're an alchemist. You get to mix the stuff. And then, then you can start using the agency of the sadness, the, the clarity, the insightfulness. We, in the, I think in this last Expand the Box training we did in Brazil, we discovered this procedure called 50 Levels Down. And there's, I haven't built the website or written up the process yet, but it goes essentially using completion loops. And then it's like essentially two people sitting across from each other. One is doing completion loops so that the person can just keep going down layer after layer after layer and just let it, let it come out. Cause in modern culture is practical. You say one thing, it's, and that's handled. It's like over and you don't even find out what the second layer is or the third layer or the fourth layer. And we're talking about going down 50 layers. What's really in there? What? You know, let that come out. Let that, those levels come out. And so what we found would put people up in doing this is 90% of the people could do it. And it was incredible. It was really breakthrough stuff. It was like, I never had a space where I could say this kind of stuff before. And a lot of it was sadness. Mm. And that's why, you know, you just use that. I'm, I'm sad about this. This is what my heart is sad about. And what I was thinking was, because I think Gaia talks a lot to us through our the sadness of our heart. I think there's so much as a resource, like an, an unfolding, like our connection to Gaia unfolds through 50 levels down in sadness of our heart and having some other consciousness hear it and repeat it back to us. And we go, yes, ding, next layer down and just just keep doing that. Just for that, for that process, what really worked, I was, I was, I was in the process. So what really worked for me was, um, and that was the invitation was to choose somebody who it seems like you have not feel, felt heard about, like from, you have not felt heard from and not mom and dad, but, um, just other people because there's a sense that if they didn't hear you, it's because you wanted to say something. And so it's like this polarity just brings up even more of that um, the 50 levels down. And it was also great to have a coach so that um, it wouldn't go into uh, victimhood or it wouldn't go into process. Uh, yeah, process or also a lot what people said it was trying to like convince the other person, like make it about the other person instead of making it about what I have to say. So just as hit if you 
it's a great process, I think, to do in a possibility team, for example. Like one night, it's, you know, an hour and a half is long enough for that. And So when you say not make it a process, but it's still about feeling the sadness. Yeah. But, but it's not an emotional healing, like, you know, trying to change a decision. or It's really about speaking. And yeah. going to the next level. Yeah. You know, dropping down to the, what's under that. Mm. Okay, well, what's under that? Mm-hmm. Like that, and let that come out because we interact so superficially most of the time, and and I think the depth is really important. Yeah, and I mean, circling back to the what Clinton you were talking in the beginning of, it, it also allows the craziness to come. Mm. The things that it doesn't make sense, it doesn't need to be logical, it doesn't need to get to a point, like and finally this to allow also the kind of craziness to come in. And enrich what needs to be said. Hmm. Let's go 50 levels down. How many people will try that this week? How many people would find a partner, either somebody in here or somebody in another team you have, to try the 50 levels down thing? We try that. I'd like to try it. Edward, Janet, Eva, Mary, Ingrid. Anybody else? Mark and Solange. Solange, Mark, great. And Ingrid. So Phyllis, cool. James. So uh, yeah, grab somebody from here or do it somewhere else, but really what a what an opportunity. I bet you have your hand up. Go ahead. She's gonna do it too. Ah, I bet we'll do it. Yes. Okay. Yes, I do it. Okay. Thank you. Oh, great. All right. Anything from somebody else? Dor, what about you? I have a lot of fear to speak today in the space. And I want to start with maybe sharing something that's a bit around my fear so I can so I can learn more here in my, in the space. Go ahead. This week we we had a meeting with our spaceholder team and, and Janet held space for us, for our team. And it's, we're not painter or anything like that. It's just, she just volunteered to be an advisor for a game world, for a spaceholder training. And, and we had one process already with her and it was amazing because our team went into, went really into the swamp and, and, you know, these assumptions started to to float and, and all and expectations and stuff like that. And it, and it created like this stuckness in the space. And, it, you know, we felt like, oh, it cannot go on. So we, we asked for Janet to hold space for us. And she did it once. It was really magical. And because it, she, like there was an opening there. There was an opening and we could come come together again as a team. And then the second time she held space for us, we made a decision to 
in the beginning of every meeting to put all of our, our assumptions and expectations in the beginning of the meeting, just to say them. And we we already experimented with that once and it was so magical. And I, yeah, I just want to share this legend about Janet because she's such a great space holder for that. And, and, and she shared before, but it's, it's such a magical, like she solved something. She created this light point for us to keep going. And there's something that I'm that I'm angry about that that I see sometimes in the spaces here. That is about. It's like what you said in the beginning about religion, Clinton. It's it's like sometimes we we take an assumption, or something, or I take an assumption, and I think that this is the the like this is the truth, like this is, like someone is has this survival strategy. For example, if someone is a white widow, someone is a good boy, and we 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 relate to them like this is the truth, like my assumption, that's what I know. And then it must be truth because the assumption that I learned in this game world are, are truth. But then if you if you freeze this game world right now, and, and like if I freeze one of you and you wake up 10 years later in this game world, all the assumptions are going to be different. All the distinctions are going to be different. The reality is everything is going to be different. So, so I'm angry that it happens because, because I, what I want is, is to us to relate to each other where, where, the, where these assumptions are not for as the truth of what's happening. They are for relating. They are for creating connection. So I can I, I can check with you something like is that your survival strategy to create connection with you? And not because that's what I think is truth and that's the right way to behave. And and what I'm really what I'm really scared about about being being a man in the in this game world and, and there's a lot of like there's a lot of break personal like breaking down that I'm going with that is happening for me and and there's a lot of of past life processes that I'm that come up in my healing processes about being a man and 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 being yeah being attacked by women and and what I I just what we came up in 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 the process with Janet another thing was just to to tell each other, like, hey, I'm on your team. You know, I have all these assumptions about you. I have all these expectations, but and I know we're going to go through this thing, but I'm really on your team. You know, I'm really here to, to take a stand for you. And and I'm missing that. I'm missing that in, in the spaces that I'm that I'm in here. And I and and I really want to ask that from the women here to to just to sometimes say that, like there's five men here. And and I don't know, I don't want to speak for the men, but I have a lot of fear to be here. And I need to hear that sometimes. Like, like I'm I'm on your team. I'm getting that you're maybe you're being an idiot right now and maybe being an asshole or or you you know, something is going on with you and it's not working, but it's like but I'm on your team here to go through this process with you because you chose to be here. And yeah, that's that's what I wanted to say. Thank you.
know, Dor, one of, one of the fears <clears throat> I think somebody would have to say that to you or to the other men is that the man's gremlin would hear that as an opportunity to go to sleep again or to take advantage of it. Like it's like the woman say, I'm on your team and and you would hear that or somebody would hear it as, oh, you're going to put your sword down and you're going to love me or take care of me. And that, that would be really a scary thing for, I think, if I was a woman and I had to face you and say, okay, I, uh, I'm here you are in a liquid state. You want me to tell you that everything's going to be okay? I'm not going to tell you that. I'm going to tell you, eat shit and die, motherfucker. Like, go all the way. That's what, That's what. if I was a woman, that's what I would want to say. Like, go do the work. You know, dig through the mud. Dig through the mud. And there's no, who knows if you're going to get to the sky. Who knows? But if you don't dig through the mud, nobody can do it for you. And I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, you can just back off. And, oh, yeah, I'm on your team, so... You can don't have to really dig through the mud. No, dig through the mud. So I think it would be scary to tell you that. Thank you. Try to find some other words besides on your team, you know, because that that doesn't work. Really, something else. I mean, if they're in this space and you're in this space, guess what? They're, they're, on team. they're on your team and they don't have to say anything because they will show up and you know keep putting it on the table on the table on the table and but you're the one who has to dig through it okay what were you gonna say no i in the last newsletter uh the general medics newsletter i i wrote it and at the end the experiment i offered was for people reading it, the readers to say, I'm on your team to, to say what you're asking door. And Clinton said, I'm changing it of <laughs> realizing they're on my team to get it to, for me to be, have that authority to say they're on my team to just like, I, I don't care what they have, what's happening. I don't care if they're attacking me. I don't care if they are, um, uh, they're reacting. I don't care if they're trying to ignore me. I I decide that they're on my team. And and then how can I make this team go better? Because they're on my team. I decided so. And so I could feel that the first one was very um, natural, let's say, more inside of my box. The second one, not as much. So I, I can easily say I'm on your team to people, but to have this clarity of you are on my team, they're on my team is... Um, scarier whatever happens thank you yeah it's like it lands for me like a it's like more like a declaration than a plea mm-hmm. Yeah, Dor, I thought you were asking for something, but I wasn't clear about what it is that you were asking for. Could you could you be more clear about that? 
think he just freaked out his internet system over there. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's frozen. I don't think so. No? No. He's not moving. Yeah, oh, I, I froze for a second. I, I didn't hear. Oh, you didn't hear? Uh, it seems like you were asking for something, but I wasn't clear about what you were asking for. And so could you tell me what you were asking for? I mean, it, when, once I heard what Clinton said and Uncle, it, it now shifted a bit, right? So, so I, I just want to be with that, and I and I don't have clarity on on what I really need right now, because I think I'm I'm speaking from my my emotions, yeah. and Thank I you. want to be what they shared. I just want to say that that's that's really the valuable thing. Uh, you know, that's the that's the precious thing, Dora, that you're speaking from a broken heart or from a wounded place or a confusion or in the liquid state. You're speaking from that. And that's the precious thing. That's, yeah, that's the magic. There's a woman yesterday in the holding space for a woman's space. And... What we discovered is, was this thing of, I have to have it sorted before I speak. I have to have it clear. I have to have it, you know, what do I need? Um, I have to already know, like this certainty, kind of before I speak. And, and I said, on the contrary, I mean, whatever the space, but I think most of the spaces would actually be about sorting it out would, together or speaking it out at least together. But the act of speaking is, okay, let's put the mess on the table. And without, you know, without attacking, without creating low drama, that putting the mess on the table is not low drama. And maybe that's the confusion with the distinction of low drama and high drama. That people think that if, whatever, or I think that if I have a mess, then I'm, I'm, I cannot speak because I'm not powerful and strong and, clear and landing distinction or whatever the thing is and so that could be part of your experiment door and other people are just what about having the the broke the, the heartbrokenness the mess there on the table thank you and that could actually become the standard that could become <clears throat> the way this is the way become the path I mean we're, we're so accustomed to hopping in a car and driving down an autobahn and and in fact what's really around us is muddy dirt roads with a bunch of holes in them you know really that's that's reality because so let's let's walk in the mud you know let's do the dirt roads together. And it, and, and the whole concept of hopping in the Autobahn, getting somewhere. Like all those people, I look at them out there on the roads and I go, God, they all think they're getting somewhere. All those people, you know, <laughs> like they all think they're going somewhere. But in fact, you know, the plate, the way to get somewhere is, is, is 
like stop, you know, stop everything, get out of the car, step in the mud road, even the, even bring your machete along, you know, and sort of hacking your way through the jungle. So Clinton, I've been doing experiments the past couple of weeks, trying to make arrangements to go and take care of my father because my stepmom was diagnosed with cancer a couple of, about a month ago. And so everything was changing really rapidly. And I made arrangements uh, with a friend to come and stay in my room while I go and take care of my dad. And come yesterday, all of that got swept away because my dad is now going to go into a facility, long-term care facility, next week, Thursday, I believe, on the 3rd. And I'm experiencing the inability to have certainty and to have anything lined up and... Uh, have everything change in a moment. What's the feeling, Mark? Well, the first feeling is sadness because I was really looking forward to spending a, a month or two with my dad. Yeah. Taking care of him and just the two of us there. And, and um, so I'm allowing that sadness and it, it's tricky. I'm trying to allow it would be a better word. Thank you. Um, Yes. The other is now I have a friend who's rearranged their schedule to come and stay in this room and I'm not vacating the room. So now we're renegotiating all of that and seeing how that's going to work out. Well, maybe you and, have a new roommate. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we just got it. We just got a roommate too. That's the other thing. There's there's three of us here now instead of just the two. Okay. So it's interesting. <clears throat> we got the rent going down. That's that's a good thing. Uh -huh. You just have to make the beds go up. Just put a bunk bed. Yeah, have to put a bunk bed in. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe you're 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 supposed to actually vacate and go travel. You know, go go be nomadic. Yeah, there's, there's something the to be said for that. House, Bridge House, I don't know, Magic House. Well, one of the things though I wasn't looking forward to is leaving the community here. The dance community that I've been connecting with has been most of my experiments, and I haven't been sharing experiments because it's like the experiments are in the moment. It's like literally engaging with somebody, connecting with them in the moment. And then uh, working with that from there. And so it's not like, oh, yeah, I predated like on Monday this week, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. It's like, no, in the moment, just getting it so that my gremlin doesn't get in the way, he catches himself. And it's like, well, we could do this. And then I do that. And it's like a whole new experience. And that's those are my experiments to pass. Five months have been full of them. So, thank you. Yes, I would like to know. Like, do you guys put your schedule on when you're doing labs 
in Australia, because the only one that ever seems to come up is the one in Poland. And so I had no idea you guys did labs in Australia or New Zealand or wherever it is over there. So. It was in New Zealand. Yes. And all our trainings are usually on the calendar. Okay. Well, I will get more religious about checking but some, the calendar. But sometimes it's three weeks in advance, you know, because that's how our plans really change without certainty also. <laughs> so. But I didn't want to slide over this little door that Ankloy opened about traveling because there's a, a thing about standing here in Brazil in this in the market as it's kind of raining a little bit and staring at vegetables and fruits that I have no idea how to eat them or prepare them. And the people are so friendly and they love they're in the market, even though it's raining. And I just there's this an entirely different um contact with what a human being is when by by departing from modern western culture and ending up in villages and you know billions of people live in villages all over and are you know happily engaged you know wearing the same clothes for two weeks in a row and eating the same rice and whatever two weeks in a row etc and it's just a a really box expanding thing that could it gives you what it does is it takes your current set of problems, whatever they are, and turns them into minuscule dust motes compared to the new kind of problems that you have when you're on the road. Because you just get bigger problems on the road that make your other problems irrelevant because they're so they're replaced. And it's just refreshing to have a whole new set of problems. Like for example, in France, you cannot get dental floss. Because people do not floss their teeth in France. And I'm trying to gear up for Poland where we're telling everybody, here's your gremlin detector. I can't get one spool of floss in France. And, you know, I discovered flossing with the gremlin detector. Just so. Yeah. You know. In any case, there's so many incredible <laughs> new problems out there to have. And if you ever want to replace your current set of problems, just follow Dor around for a while because he's going, you know, he's this way and that way. He, It'll give you all kinds of new problems. I will take that under advisement. I <laughs> what I will, what I will experiment you. with is to continue the plan that I was going to vacate the room so that I clear out my stuff. Yes. I still have the five by eight to get rid of. So yeah, the, the five by eight room is where all my stuff yeah. Yeah. So that, and the advisement was not just for you. It was for anyone listening to this. Is that travel is such a, it's an element of initiation that is sometimes overlooked. Does anybody have some wrap up last sharing for our space today? It was pretty intense for a while. You know, I was intentionally kind of lightening the space up so we could go back to our lives without destroying the first thing we meet through our archetypal presence, you know, just like shattering your world. So does anybody have something to throw in this space at the end here to wrap this up? Isabel, what do you have for us? I, I wrote down, like, because I sensed that my, my gremlin has this attack system. How can I have a culture-to-culture conversation with my gremlin? You know, how, how can I, like, how can my grandma also check into the culture 
like to gravitate space together. And I have like, <laughs> I have a lot of ideas what to do with my gremlin. <laughs> it's fun. Like, it's really fun. I'm, I wrote them down and yeah. <laughs> I just got one about, do you, like, you know, it's like a child. Your grandma is like a child, you know, it's like it won't move and it's spitting all over and it's shitting all over and it's screaming. You just grab it and just shake it and just like, wake up, you know, <laughs> we're grown up now. So stop this shit or something. Just shake him up a little bit. You know, I mean, like, I don't believe all this crap. You know, it's just your thing. And then you say, okay, you're here. Okay, now we're now we're going on an adventure. Now okay. we can have a real adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all I've right. Been, yes? Let's... Yeah, I, I opened the book, um, the Rainy and Joy Brilliant Love book, just random for my random moment of uh, information. And there was the section about um, noticing low drama, uh, the low drama detector. And that at first it'll be, oh, you know, yesterday, you you had low drama yesterday and like oh oh and then you had it this morning then oh oh and then all the way up to you having it right now and then here it comes and um i loved i read it twice two different evenings and and I was like, this is where I I want to be. Like it 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 didn't give any you know, how do you do it? But I just <laughs> it it said to me, this is what we're going for, you know. And so I had made a I had made a flyer for a space I was holding and the it was the railroad tracks with the train coming so it's like you can see it coming okay. <laughs> you can see it coming yeah yeah that so. famous last words <laughs> our yes. famous last words for this week you can yeah. see it thanks, coming everybody okay thanks Leslie thank you thank you everyone have a great time you guys See you next week. Thank you. Experimenting. (laughs) Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.